0: Get back into talking about the Research Float Collective, the future of it, the future of, of Justin's life, and all of his plans, as well as finding out some more information, just simply about the benefits of floating. So, cannot wait to get into all of that. Part two is just as exciting as part one. But of course, I want to shout out Helmbot before we get going here. Helmbot. Uh, not only can you get a free tour, you can just you can get a demo of Helmbot. So. <laughs> there's like so little, there's zero risk. It is just about exploring your options. And they're so confident that once you try out their scheduling software that includes classes, um, includes massage, acupuncture, includes your float tanks, um, that you can, um, or- then you will see that it is the perfect product for you. And that's something that the float shop has been using for, I don't know, is it like seven or eight years now, something like that? We've fully switched all of our systems over to Helmbot uh, because now it does everything we could possibly want. And, And I have said many times it's a piece of software that does many different pieces of... It's a software that does many things that a whole bunch of different softwares would need to do in the past. So whether it's your project management, your employee scheduling, your client scheduling, it's all in one place, including just checking all the metrics in your tank and all that. We can go back years at the float shop to see every single day what the, say, hydrogen peroxide levels were. We can troubleshoot very easily by going back and tracking on that stuff. So Justin, it's awesome. HelmBot is where you want to go. HelmBot.com. And, and let's continue with uh, Gloria asking some hard-hitting questions. We have such an
1: opportunity as an industry to rally behind this. And you know you'd have the rally, right? With 900 centers or just just call it 700 you know, whatever it's going to be after this is all over. How do you mobilize people like me who own four float centers, now three? um, How do you get us the information? Could one of the objectives of the FRC to be that we really spoon feed all the owners out there, all of the advocates out there, all of the top customers out there with these very specific science-based sound bites that are palatable. And you did a great job with the clinical research um, website, but we're missing something, right? We're missing this. It's it's almost like it needs to be packaged in such a way that it could be sent out every week or every month so that these voices can mobilize and get attention for what you've just described. Nobody can replace the passion you just illustrated in the talk that you just gave. I mean, I could feel it. I got chills. It's so powerful. And there's so many people who feel powerful about floating. So I I just want to pose that question. If that's not part of the FRC's mission, I would ask that we come together to help you make that another objective because (laughs) it's just the power of the numbers, right? It's math. You get all of these float center owners. It's, it's math, right?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that because that's where I do need help. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. This is totally outside of my domain. And I need people who are involved in marketing. I need people who are involved in the legality. And, and I need people who are involved in accounting. I need all of those people to join forces with me on the Float Research Collective to make this a reality. Now, we have this really, I think, nice foundation of the website you were referring to. This is uh, clinicalfloat.com, and if anyone goes to clinicalfloat.com, they'll see the beginning of an infrastructure, but it needs to be so much more, and I want to make it that. I want to make it accessible. I want to make it something that people could get involved with, and one of the things that uh, we've enacted on that website is if you go to the very bottom of the website, there's a newsletter that you could sign up for, and Mm -hmm. even though I am totally a novice at social media, we are going to start sending updates out on that newsletter, so I do encourage anyone listening right now, if you're very interested in getting updates, go to clinicalfloat.com, sign up for the newsletter. You know, to me, the... the, The idea here is, you know, you go into that website, you sign up for the newsletter, you'll be part of these updates. Now, I don't know if they're going to happen every week, but maybe every month, maybe every other month, until we get things really moving. But I need help. I need people to contact me if they want to be part of this in a very in-depth way. I don't need, you know, people who could just do surface level things. I need people who are really willing and ready to, 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 to make this a reality. And, you know, part of that reality is making this accessible exactly like you were articulating, Gloria. I mean, this is so important. And if this is going to go anywhere, it's going to be because of our own internal passion to see this get somewhere. And so, yeah, I I think that's really one of the next goals for me is to try to create a resource for the whole industry that then people could participate in. And, you know, it may take a year, it may take two years, it may take even a Several years before this is where it needs to be, but i 'm not going to give up until we 're there you know this is <laughs> This is exciting to me, and this is what is is giving me sort of a newfound hope for for the future of floating
3: so Justin whenever you think about what's coming next for Setting up a five hundred one c three. Are you looking at creating a board of directors? Are you looking for volunteers? Are you looking for full time employees? Like, what would that actually look like for people who might be interested? Well,
2: right, right now it's going to be completely volunteer based because we have no money. Um, what I'd like to do is once we're officially a nonprofit, is start fundraising. I think there's a lot of float centers who might be willing to contribute to this. I think there's a lot of philanthropists who might be excited by the idea of being able to fund a non pharmacological route towards anxiety or pain reduction. And once we could start raising funds, I think the sky's going to be the limit because we could start building the infrastructure to conduct research at float centers. We could start raising the money to do these critical RCTs where in a head-on-head way, we compare floating to some of the gold standard pharmaceuticals. And I think there's other float researchers. That's another thing I want to do with this research collective is I want to help other float researchers who are struggling to fund their studies.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, this was something I was constantly having to do when I was at the Laureate <laughs> Institute. I I spent 75% of my time at the Laureate Institute applying for grants. And it's hard. This is a hard moment in time to get grants. There's a lot of people biding at this small um, pool of funds. And floating is just sort of a niche in their mind. It's not something that they necessarily want to invest a lot of money in. And so if we have a float research collective that has a pool of money, we could fund things like pilot studies for people around the world who are scientists, who are researchers, and they just don't have the funds to pursue this. And so I I foresee a lot of vision for this research collective in a way that could not just enhance research Um, in my own sort of uh, view, but help other researchers achieve their own vision.
3: So are you thinking, um, whenever you're getting float centers involved, um, would that be just collecting data from, you know, their clientele coming in? Are you thinking of, you know, actually reaching out to the medical community as well? I mean, I, I can speak, my center, we have a lot of medical referrals Uh, We have several doctors in town. We don't know how they heard about us, but they did. And they started sending patients to us, which was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. We... We also have a physician who was a silent investor um, in our center when we opened. And so, you know, anything that that we need to check with, you know, we can just reach out to him really quickly. But um, locally, I feel like there is a little bit of support. And I'm just curious, would that be uh, something that you would want to see incorporated more or look more just as the data collection piece? No,
2: I want to do anything that we could do to facilitate float research, whether it's locally. You know, I think a great example is um, in Float Milwaukee, they, they've they set up a collaboration that I've assisted with where um, Andy is working with a local hospital and they are studying people with acute post-traumatic stress disorder and getting referrals from their clinic and doing a proper IRB um, controlled study where they're trying to understand how floating could help with acute PTSD. And it's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic question. And this is a collaboration between a recreational local float center and a proper institution, a hospital. And this is going to get published eventually. So, you know, to me, I want to facilitate float research, whether that's at the local level, whether it's national or internationally, or whether it's at my own float clinic. The idea is to keep this momentum going, to keep Float Research going.
1: Well, I'm envisioning a dream team right now. And you mentioned Float Milwaukee. Andy just happens to be a CPA by, <laughs> by profession. We've got Kim here who runs a marketing agency. So I'm, I'm volunteering the two of you. Sorry, Andy. I know you're not here to defend <laughs> yourself. But, uh, and I'll certainly be your PR girl. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's very doable. You know, it's it's something everybody wants to do. It's just, uh, you know, kind of getting the, the foundation started. So I'm, I'm really excited to go out and look at your, your new, you know, kind of framework on the website that kind of collects interest. And I think that's a great place to start if, if we haven't done that already. You know, have you set up a, a database already of people who are willing to jump in? Have, have, is that at the bottom of the website? I haven't seen it yet.
2: You know, I think right now, the best thing you could do is sign up for the newsletters. And once we are ready to sort of instantiate that process, it will be in the newsletters and the updates. Um, You can also email me directly, and I'm happy um, to have people do that. My my email, my new email is is feinstein.float at gmail.com. And people could just email me directly, and I'm, I'll be creating a repository of the people who want to get involved in this in a very deep and passionate way, because that's what I need. I need team players. I need people who could help with all of the parts that I'm not really an expert in. And this is going to be a team effort. I think this is really, honestly, something that the industry needs, and it's something that will, I think, in a long way, and a long-term vision, help the industry, because once these data are acquired, once we recognize the clinical benefits that floating provides, the sky is the limit. So well,
1: that's exciting. So to me. With that being, you know, Dylan kind of touched on what the end goal is, right? So my goal to my question to you is, what is the actual moonshot? What is the outcome that you are actually looking for, right? Because You've got clinical research now, you've got anecdotal studies from, or information from all of these float centers. What is going to be the catalyst that propels us into the things that you described, where people are looking at this as a gold standard therapy? You know, you use the word treatment. That, when I first heard you say the word treatment, I was like, wow. I don't refer to our sessions as treatments. I mean, just that change in how we position floating is a game changer, right? So I'll go back to the question. What is the moonshot? What is the end goal? What's the holy grail for, for you in this project?
2: I, I would like to see this become the gold standard. Now, I realize we're dealing with a multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical industry who has a lot more resources, who has a lot bigger megaphone than any of us do. And the powers that be will not be happy about this change. Let me forewarn everyone out there, big pharma is not going to appreciate what we're doing. But anyone who's been addicted to drugs, anyone who's struggled with ways to naturally reduce their stress and anxiety, naturally reduce their levels of pain, will recognize how important this is. We need to provide the population with a non-pharmacological route towards relieving their suffering. And I really believe that floating is that route. And so if I had to say what my, my, my pipe dream is, my pipe dream is a person goes into their doctor and says, doc, what could I do to reduce my anxiety? What could I do to reduce my pain? And the first thing out of that doctor's mouth is go to your local float center now. Don't delay. Don't take any pills. Go now. That would be really incredible if we could move away from this medicated model of our modern medical system. If we could move away from this and really into a natural intervention that doesn't come with this panoply of side effects, that seems to be extremely safe. Everything we've studied at the Florian Institute has shown that floating is extremely safe and helping people relieve their suffering. What more altruistic goal could we have than to help all these people relieve their suffering by doing nothing but laying in this beautiful water that we've crafted inside of these float centers.
3: We love you. It's just so good to, yeah, it's just so good to hear you talk about this. And especially after taking a few months off to be able to, to see that, Mm. that fire and that passion and that love for what we do is still there. Like it always gives me chills. It always makes me, you know, teary eyed no matter when when I'm thinking about it myself, but even to just to hear you talking about taking it to that place. And I don't, I don't think it's unachievable. Um, You think about the yoga industry and at one time yoga was a very fringe activity And if you look now, everybody knows what yoga is. Almost everybody has at least tried it at some point. Um, If not, they know where a yoga center is, or they know how to find some information about it. And if you just think about the growth of, you know, things like that, and yoga has a lot of, you know, the same benefits, but this goes to such a different place and you don't have to, you know, buy all the gear and do all that. You just show up. And how amazing is that to have that option? I don't I don't think it's that far out there. It might take a little time, but I think it's happening.
0: Before we move on, I just want to give a quick shout out to Isopod. These are float tank manufacturers that have been making float tanks for my gosh, as long as I've been in the industry and, and well beyond that. Uh so I don't know, well over nine, ten years. And these guys are making float tanks that are, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for? Durable isn't quite the right word, but basically all the parts are beefy, including like in the filtration system where uh, when you need to shut off the, the water so that you can work on the filter or something like that, it's got these metal clamps that you're turning. You actually get a get a decent workout trying to turn these things. It's, it's, okay, I'm over-exaggerating a little bit here, but... It really is non rusting metal, and it is uh it is built incredibly well and I think you can ask anybody who owns an isopod and you can ask them about the quality of the parts of these float tanks and that's clearly a priority that that they're um making sure is in the forefront of, of how they're designing their float tanks. They even upgraded their strats recently or excuse me struts uh, when it comes to opening and closing the float tanks they don't want them to go out after several hundred uses they want them to last forever, so they are Replacing old ones with with new style struts and all the new tanks are shipping out with the new style as well. I truly love both of our isopods at the float shop. Go to isopod, that's I-S-O-P-O-D.com, isopod.com, and check out all their float tanks and get in contact with these guys. And of course, tell them that Art of the Float sent you. And uh, we'll hand it back over to Drew here.
4: So I, I would just like to reiterate i was just a little amazed for a second so you're welcoming help from the community tonight
2: and that's what i need i need help
4: (laughs) i'm out of my domain here okay okay so i just wanted to make that clear to everyone who's listening that if you think you have something that you could offer you already gave out your email address you can you're open to somebody shooting an email to you with some type of help
2: that's right absolutely
4: Awesome. awesome. Okay.
2: And
3: cool. So we'll go ahead and put you down for a, a Spot at the Float conference, too. That's right. And by the way, <laughs> okay. I, I, yes. I want to put a pitch out there.
2: And I don't know how everyone feels about this in the community. But we've been through a hell of a year, just as an entire species, uh, once in a 100-year pandemic. And it's isolated us. It's made uh, um, everything much more difficult. And I propose that in 2022, or in 2023, when we come out of this mess, we have a float conference on Maui. Amen, everyone, brother. Everyone comes out here. <laughs> we, we, we we parlay it with the vacation, bring your families, and we come to Maui, we, we celebrate the end of this pandemic together. We enact this vision of, of the future of floating and one thing I should mention is Maui is where John Lilly passed away. I don't think many people recognize this, but somewhere lurking on Maui is John Lilly's last float tank. I'm on a mission to find this. And I think it would be kind of a full circle. Um, I, I want to propose that. I know that there's, there's a lot of logistics that we have to deal with, but what a fun way to, to sort of reconvene the float con.
1: How big is your house? that's great
4: we can have it on a beach in hawaii i
1: love it there There you go now we're oh my
0: god i love this (laughs) that would be awesome in say no more yeah i'm there (laughs) uh so you do have both flow conference members here and uh fta members so um you you've got the ear of of some you know industry groups here
4: yeah, and I'm already – I have a bunch of ideas that I, I was already going to throw throw your way from the FDA standpoint. So hopefully there's a way that we can help. I think it's awesome that you're opening um, yourself up to help from the community. And we have a great community that often does help when there's help needed. And people do like to become involved in – things like this so i think this would be exciting and maybe also something that people need right now as you said it's been a long year and how exciting would it be to help the industry right now for people i think that would
0: um be something really positive to focus on um here here's something how about we do a um i love live stream is the right word but an, an open discussion um so obviously we'll we would want representatives from the FTA, from the Float Collective, but also just anybody within the industry who thinks they might be able to bring something or is curious about what's going on, let's all join a giant Zoom channel. Um, I'll go ahead and volunteer to simply moderate to, you know, when somebody goes a little bit long, I might, might nip it and let's, let's move on, but to um, start looking at what assets people have, what kind of ideas people have, and does that sound like a good idea?
2: Absolutely. That's, that would be a great sort of uh, a brainstorming uh, session that we could really try to make some concrete uh, ideas come to fruition. I, I love that idea.
0: Let's do that.
3: What is your timeline? Like, Do you have an ideal goal for when you would like to have a team in place and something you know, ready to start taking some action? I, I would
2: like the, the 501c3 to come together this year. That's kind of my goal before the year is over, to have the 501c3 set up, to have the basic foundation of the team in place, and then to spend a lot of next year building that infrastructure, raising the funding that's gonna be required to, to to make all these grandiose goals come true. And you know, I think it's it's doable. It's it's doable if we have the right team together.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I love it. Yep. Uh I'm going to change gears a little bit because you, you talked about it already, um, but can we talk about what you want to be doing in Hawaii? And obviously it'll, it'll you know, the Float Tank Research, or excuse me, Float Research Collective would plug into it, but what are your personal goals for float research in Hawaii?
2: You know, one of the things I would love to do is build what I'm referring to as the Maui Float Clinic. Um, there, there's really no place like it on the island, and... Mm-hmm. There's people who come from all over the world to be here, just tourists. And they come for one, two, three weeks at a time. You know, I had a a really close friend who passed away a few years ago named Art Janoff, And he was a a 93-year-old mad scientist. I like to refer to him as a mad scientist. He's just an amazing guy. He had this giant sort of gray curly hair shooting to the sky like Einstein. And Art was um, really well-known in many ways for inventing what's known as primal therapy. And as part of this, he was John Lennon's psychotherapist. When John Lennon was leaving the Beatles, he he used primal therapy to save himself. And it's well-documented. The entire first album of Lennon's after the Beatles was what's now known as the primal album but it talks about his experiences doing Art Janov's therapy. And before Art passed away, he coached me a lot on one of the fundamental parts of his therapy, which is doing treatment in a very intensive way, where patients would fly in from all over the world and they'd work with Art, not just once a week, but every single day for a few hours a day, for several weeks in a row. And I would love to try that with floating. I would love the float tank to become the couch, if you will, and I could be the therapist and work with patients who are suffering, work with people who really want to do that detailed sort of work to help get them out of the throes of their suffering and do it over the course of a week or two weeks or three weeks, however long they could devote to that process. So I'm, I'm hoping to open what I'm referring to as the Maui Float Clinic on the island. Where people will have this opportunity, wherever they come from in the world, and I think it's it's going to be a really fun sort of new way of exploring what floating can do to relieve suffering.
1: How much for the program? Asking for a friend.
2: <laughs> I I don't know yet. That's a great I will question. Sign up. Are you
1: taking, I will sign are you sign up. taking reservations?
2: Yes. <laughs> I don't know yet. You know, I, I think you know Maui is not cheap. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that, having lived here for the past few months. And, um, you know, we're going to start small. I'll probably only have one or two open float pools. Um, I'm, I am teaming up with, with Float Away to help enact this vision. One of the things that uh, Float Away asked me at the early days um, is what is the ideal float tank for patient populations, people who have claustrophobia, people who are suffering. And I came up with what they now refer to as the serenity Pool which is a 10-foot diameter circular open pool. This is like full da Vinci-Vitruvian man. You could spread out, there's no (laughs) boundaries, and you have 10 feet of water on uh, all sides of you. And we're going to build these facilities here in Maui, make it a very sort of luxurious, spacious experience, make it very conducive to patient populations, and just try to make it as inviting as possible so that there's no barriers to entry. And I don't know how much it's going to cost yet. I'm still um, actively researching all of this, trying to find the right location to put the float clinic. Um, In fact, True Rest um, has has helped me tremendously in this effort. They have a a commercial real estate agent, uh, Dan Wertz, who's been tremendous on trying to help me locate the right spot on Maui and so it's gonna be a work in progress, but this is kind of my my long-term vision for how I'm gonna be able to sustain, sustain myself on this island for the long term and be able to raise my family here. And, and I'm excited about it. I think it's it's a new it's a new vision for how floating could actually
0: work. Are you gonna join us and, and be a float center owner as well? Yeah, I was
1: gonna ask that question. You know, you're dipping into a very dangerous territory. Yeah. And and it it <laughs> introduce the question into my mind. So at Lieber, how did that work? Who was in charge of maintenance of the float tanks and doing the stuff Mm. that you have to do? Because, you know, (laughs) we all talk about, you know, how we got into this for the passion of floating. And very few of us can float in our own float centers now because you get anxiety because you're seeing all the things that need to be fixed. And, (laughs) you know, so that's a whole nother problem. But Uh. um, who did handle that kind of stuff at Lieber? I mean, that's a job it it is
2: it's a major undertaking i think we have you know really excellent research assistants who help with the day-to-day operations got it we are part of a hospital the laureate psychiatric clinic and hospital where the library is based out of and they have great hospital facilities including amazing housekeepers i remember one who every night would come and clean our flow clinic and we had great laundry facilities because of the hospital. That was a big part of working in a yeah. hospital. so Some of those things were taken well, care well, of for us. But you, it, it's, a right. yeah. it's, it's a lot of work. folding
3: towels.
4: <laughs> That's
2: right. It's a lot of work. There's no doubt about it. Uh, um, I used to joke that um, trying to create this center uh, where you create this experience of nothingness is the exact opposite of nothing. If people realize what it took to allow this experience to happen, it's a lot of
1: work.
0: Yeah. I I am so done with folding tower towels, but, uh, I'll work for free. If you, if I can work in Hawaii, (laughs) I I will work there for free. (laughs) I'll fold all the towels. And you'll fold those towels though. However you want them. Um, can, so this is so exciting and i want to talk more about that but also something keeps sticking with me as we move on here is primal therapy that's a big topic in its own that you just delved into and honestly and i I want to be delicate about this but i think there are a lot of conceptions and misconceptions about primal therapy primal scream therapy and i'm just curious do, is that even something you want to talk about is that
2: what what i could say is you, that there's a ton of misconceptions i think Having gotten to know Art Janoff, the creator of primal therapy, you know people never really understood what it was. Um, people always just thought it's screaming. It's not. In fact, when you're in the midst of a primal, you don't have a voice. There's no vocalization whatsoever. You're in the throes of pure emotion. There's no vocalization whatsoever. So even the notion of screaming is incorrect. I think it's a very fascinating therapy. It hasn't been well studied. That was one of the reasons I became close friends with Art, is he was interested in, in trying to do the proper research to uh, sort of understand what primal therapy is doing to the brain and doing uh, in terms of the clinical outcomes. And we need to do that research. It still hasn't been done. But, I, you know, I think suffice to say it's a very promising therapy in the sense that it, it's the exact opposite of what you typically see in psychotherapy. A lot of modern psychotherapy, a patient starts crying, and the first thing a therapist does is he hands them a box of tissues. Um, primal therapy, when you start crying, that's just the beginning. You're supposed to go into the emotions. You're supposed to go into the, the reliving, if you will, of the traumatic experience. And you know something that a lot of people don't even know is Lennon had a, a horrible trauma growing up. He was not raised by his parents. He was raised by his aunt. And there was a moment that came back to memory through primal therapy that would have forever changed the course of history had it happened. When Lenin was just a few years old, I think maybe he was four years old, five years old, his father was a merchant marine and was asked to move to New Zealand and The bags were packed. They were out the door. John Lennon was on his way to leave England to move his life to New Zealand. And had that happened, you guys, there would be no Beatles. The Beatles are over. And as they're leaving, with their suitcases in hand, Lennon's mother, who had a host of psychiatric problems, comes out of nowhere and proceeds to get into one of the largest fights Lennon ever remembered having, Uh, with his father, Mm -hmm. yelling and screaming back and forth, you can't leave, you can't do this. And at the end of the fight, the two parents turn to Lenin and say, you choose. Who do you want to be with? Who do you want to be with? And how the hell is a four or five-year-old boy supposed to make that choice? It ended up that he was with neither of them. He was raised by his aunt. And it left an emotional scar, so much so that he didn't even remember that event happening until he was doing primal therapy with Art Janoff. And he wrote the first song of his primal album, the, the, the John Lennon and Plastic Ono Band, off of that event. And I encourage everyone uh, to listen to this song because it, it, it tells the whole story of what I just told. The song is called Mother. And it's just pure pain. It's pure traumatic pain
0: obviously we'll, we'll post a link to that. Um, wow. Personal
1: question. (laughs) I think we're all just stunned and and in shock at, at, you know, the notion of how that went down. So Mm -hmm. you're obviously clinically trained to manage through a process of being on the other side of that as a therapist. How does that impact you? I'm just curious. I've always wondered about the psychiatrists, psychologists and how you know, things kind of manifest within themselves as they're treating their patients. Like how do you manage that, Justin? I
2: float. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I,
1: I actually, without without without
3: making it too
2: too light of a situation, I think floating is actually something all therapists and psychiatrists should be considering because it it does take an emotional toll. You know, watching other people go through their suffering, hearing about the traumas that other people have been through, it, there's a vicarious experience there. There's no doubt about it, and it's hard. It's hard to to, to see how ubiquitous suffering is in this world, and you know, it's important to try to, you know, create some sort of, um, you know, coping mechanism, if you will, to make sure that it doesn't affect you too greatly. But I, I have immense compassion and empathy for these people. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's so much horror out there. There's so much trauma out there. And it's incumbent upon us as as fellow human beings to help people get through that and and move mm-hmm. on in life. And that's where I feel like floating is such a great altruistic endeavor you know every day that people are coming into your flow clinic and they leave a different person you see that there's something totally nonverbal about that you don't even have to talk to your clients but you just see in the composure of their body and the way they smile and the way that this weight of the world has been lifted off of them you've done something palpable to relieve their suffering and to me this is such an altruistic uh, outcome and 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 if anything it, it brings light at the end of that dark tunnel when you could actually relieve suffering in that clear and palpable of a way.
1: Amazing.
0: If it's okay, I think I'm ready to step back a little bit. I think we've covered <laughs> we've covered quite a bit of of everything that's gone in the past, divisions for the future, and I'm curious if it's okay. Um if we step back and ask some general floating questions, is that okay since we have your ear, if we can bend it a little bit. Um, I know Drew had some, had some float questions and I think that'd be a great time.
4: Okay, awesome. Thank you. Uh, so you've mentioned how floating helps with vi- a bunch of different things, right? Um, anxiety, PTSD, pain. Um, um, you had even talked about anorexia. And I'm just curious, phys- physically... How do we explain that as float center owners in in terms that we can speak to people? Because really, it sounds like it's the magic cure for everything. So is it all working the same to help everybody with the different conditions? Or does it work differently based off of the conditions? Is there a general... I think you had mentioned something about the nervous system changes. It, so is it simply just because the nervous system is changing no matter what is wrong, there will be that positive benefit? Does that, does that make sense? It's a great question.
2: Imagine. And I think, you know, it's important to, to, to think carefully about the words I used. You know, I didn't say floating cured everything. Um, and I don't think it cures anything, to be honest. I think what it does is it provides a very potent short-term relief of things like anxiety and stress and pain. This isn't everything, anxiety, stress, and pain, just stick with those three things for the time being. We have clear data to show that, to show that if somebody comes in with high levels of anxiety, stress, or pain, they're going to leave with a reduction in those symptoms. And the data speaks for itself. It shows that pre-post-float, there is this significant change. Now, there's a lot of other things that we haven't studied very well, things like insomnia or sleep disorders, There's a lot of anecdotal data that our clients are saying floating helps improve their sleep, but there hasn't been systematic studies on this. There's a lot of other psychiatric and physical health conditions that we just don't know enough about yet to say that floating helps with it. So I think we have to be circumspect. If we just start saying that floating helps with every single condition under the moon, I think people's eyes gloss over and they start saying, this is snake oil. I think we need to focus. We need to focus on what the data has actually shown us. And in the case of anxiety, stress, and pain, the data is very clear. And it's all on the short-term relief. Remember, we're doing those longitudinal studies right now. We can't really say whether this is going to have an impact six months or a year down the road. The hypothesis is that it will, but we don't know yet. But at least pre-post-float, we have clear data to show that it helps these clinical symptoms.
4: And what exactly is happening in our brains that is making it feel no pain? You know, for example, for the pain um, side of things like is it, what's the physiological thing that is going on in that short float that is happening?
2: You know, I, I think it's, it's really inducing what I would refer to as homeostasis. It's creating balance in a nervous system that has gone awry. And we have some data that I, I hope is going to come out this year. The manuscript is, is under review as we speak. That is for the first time showing what is happening in the networks of the brain pre and post-float. And it's doing it in a very rigorous way. And it's, it's, in fact, what I think is fascinating is floating reduces stimulation across a lot of different sensory systems. You have reduced vision. You have reduced sound. You have reduced proprioception of the body. And the one area of the brain that we're seeing time and time again in this fMRI data is the body maps. It's not visual cortex or auditory cortex. It's in the areas of the brain that represent the body itself, the somatosensory cortices that seem to be changing the most from pre to post float. And I think that's something that very few therapies could actually impact in such a meaningful way. You know, most of, uh, of the psychological therapies are dealing with the mind and just having people talk about their thoughts. But it's the body that is oftentimes the seat of suffering, if you will. And it's the body maps of the brain that seem to be changed the most from pre to post float. So I hope that paper comes out this year so all of you could see um, what what the data is really revealing to us.
1: So, Justin, help us break that down into layman's terms, because you are a scientist that understands what (laughs) body maps means. But I want to go and tell everybody what you just said. And then I want my... 10 people at each location mm. to tell people what you just said. How the hell do you okay. say that and make a customer understand what you just said? Well, <laughs> let's put it this way.
2: There there are brain regions responsible for sort of being an observer moment by moment, every moment of the day of what's happening outside of the brain in the sphere of the body. And this is every part of the body. It could be the musculature of the back, right, near the spinal cord and all the tension that you build up over the course of the day in your spinal muscles. It could be the internal body where beat by beat or breath by breath, the brain is registering what's happening in the internal body. It's the heart-brain connection. It's the lung-brain connection. It's the gut-brain connection. And all of these internal organs, all of these muscul- uh, all of these muscles throughout the body, each moment are delivering signals into the brain, and the brain is mapping them in a somatotopic fashion. In other words, each body part has a specific area of the brain that it's represented. So you could actually go into these different body maps, and if you stimulate them in, say, a surgical patient who has their brain open, They're going to feel sensations in different body parts. So you could stimulate, you know, the fingers and suddenly you'll feel tingling in the fingers. You could stimulate, you know, somewhere in the toes and suddenly you'll feel tingling in the toes. These are a a map of each component of your body that's represented in the brain itself. And this map is constantly receiving information. And it's constantly trying to use that information to determine... Moment by moment, how are you feeling? Hmm. How is your body doing? How is it regulating life itself? And that is where floating is impacting the most. The regulation of life itself, moment by moment, in the body itself. And so, to me, this is important because we are reducing all of these different sensory systems, but it's the profound impact on the body that seems to be resonating in the fMRI data that we've been collecting.
1: And we wonder why I had an anxiety attack after having to speak behind you at the float conference. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
4: I have something, I, Justin, so calm mind, calm body? That's right. Or maybe, in okay. fact,
2: what's happening is you calm the body through floating and then the mind calms. Right. And so, you know, okay. to me, this is, this is an exciting uh, finding. You know, the, the fact that we, we did an, a whole brain exploratory search. We didn't say we're just going to look at the body maps. We said, let's look everywhere in the brain and see what changes the most from pre-float to post-float. And the way the analysis turned out is it was these body maps.
1: So when you talk about fMRIs, and the clinical experience of collecting this type of profound data. Is there any emerging emerging technologies out there now that you're seeing that makes this type of data collection more accessible outside of a clinic? Because there's only a few, right? It seems like there's some, and I'm super jazzed about this topic being in technology myself. Is there anything you're seeing out there that is more of an enabler to collect this with you know, a connection to your iPhone.
2: There is actually, you know, I'm, I'm heavily involved with what I think is a groundbreaking new technology uh, by a company called Neuroverse. And this is the, the brain station. It's an EEG device, an electroencephalogram that sits just on the forehead. It's a very small device and it's meant for the average user, not just somebody in a laboratory. You connect this device, it connects in with your iPhone, and it measures your brain waves moment by moment. And it gives you a very clear insight to what's happening inside your brain. And I've been working with Ricardo Gil the Costa, the, the, the CEO mm-hmm. and founder of this company, very closely. He's been at many flow conferences now. Yeah. And we've developed a version of the device that is completely... Float compatible. It's waterproof. It's lightproof, and you could wear it while you're floating. And it's—I mean—how exciting is that going to be when this device finally reaches market? I hope it reaches market. It's, it's still in uh, the phases of a startup company, but eventually, if this can reach the market, anyone could go out and buy these, including float centers, and people could be measuring their own brain waves. Not
1: just during a float, but at home as well. So don't you think like focusing energy on that technology, right? And getting this in the hands of the 900 float centers that are out there and getting it in the hands of maybe some naturopath doctors or, you know, people who could actually, they're already kind of supporting the notion. Don't you think that that's like a springboard for what you're trying to do holistically with the collective
2: absolutely it, it's all part of you know where I'm investing my time now you know this is
1: so exciting
2: this is this is you know to me the future is to be able to measure the signals in our brain in day-to-day life and giving people access to that you know internal signal could really help people improve their own lives and, and I'm excited about that
0: can I ask a I'm worried this is a dumb question, and I have a feeling my co-hosts would have good answers to it. But I'm really curious of your point of view on this when I'm, and this is a marketing question, to be honest, um, when I'm talking to somebody, um, you know, Drew, or actually, I think you brought up, you know, if it's a cure for everything, people just tune out. And I think even bringing up anxiety, that is most of the population, particularly today. We are so stressed out, but I think so many people don't like to admit it um, because this is normal, right? Like life is just normal. We work crazy hours. We get home, we watch TV, like we do all these things without taking care of ourselves. And I am curious, how would you help somebody identify that they have anxiety? Um, you know, let's say you have your, your center, somebody walks in and you want to talk about anxiety. How could that person identify that they have heightened stress and, and, or anxiety?
2: I think you're right, Dylan. It's so ubiquitous, right? And now more than ever, people who mostly have not suffered much from stress or anxiety are acknowledging, wait a second, something's not right. I think it's that feeling of disquiet, that feeling that you're not functioning at your best. And you might notice it in different aspects. You might notice that you're not sleeping as well, that your mind is racing all the time that you're constantly feeling on edge. It's that notion that you can never just be present. You can never just relax. You're constantly sort of thinking about what you need to do, the future of your life, instead of being in the present. This is telltale signs that stress and anxiety is taking over your nervous system. And it's a telltale sign that right now you need to pause. You need to think about, for example, floating. You know, I always tell people, uh, the most common response I get uh, when I ask, you know, just average people, why haven't you floated yet? Is I don't have time for that. (laughs) Those are the people who need to hop in the tank right now. It's like, Jesus, if you say you don't have time to take one hour out of your life just to sort of focus on yourself and focus on getting your nervous system into a state of homeostasis, you are the person that needs this the most then. Mm-hmm. And, and so absolutely, I think, you know, I think if, if people are noticing that they're, they're not able to achieve even a moment of peace anymore, they need to step back. They need to attend to their needs and they need to attend to the needs of their body.
3: I think that's my, my personal kind of big goal in all that I'm doing is to normalize that, to make that something that's not only just, um, it, it's something that you don't just do because you know, it's good. You do it because you feel like you have to, it's like changing the oil in your car. Like you're not going to <laughs> not do that. Right. You know, I mean, if you think about like, we have these rules about so many things that we maintain in our lives, and our equipment why aren't we doing yeah, that for ourselves? Yeah. And that's, you know, one of my personal missions is just to make that, like, what do you mean you don't have time? Like, what? Instead of the, oh, girl, me too, you know? Right, and that's great. that's the, the language, though, is so much of this, like, crazy busyness. And, you know, we wear that like a badge of honor. Right. And I'm trying to break that down. Even just in my local community, and it's starting to happen. And I see these little discussions that are happening out there, and it's super exciting to see people saying, "Oh, you need a, you need a float." Like that's what people are talking about. You need a float. Just go. Just go. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to break that down for myself, <laughs> let alone other people around me. I feel it. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been amazing, uh, uh, Dr. Feinstein. Is there anything that you want to make sure that you communicate to the float community before we wrap up the show?
2: You know i I just want people to realize that um, I'm in this for the long haul i'm I'm excited about the future of floating. I'm more excited now than even pre pandemic. I feel like we really have an antidote for modern times that no other modality has it's 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 a secret right now, but I hope that in the years that come, this will no longer be a secret, and that the entire world will recognize that we are sitting on a technology it could really help so many people and help relieve the suffering in this world, which is so ubiquitous. And, um, you know, I hope people could help, help me in this effort, because I don't think I'm the only one who feels this way about floating.
0: No, you certainly aren't. Thank you so much. I I know I speak for all of our co-hosts when I say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for what you're doing, your continued work. And, um, my goodness, I'm I'm at a loss here. Uh I, I would be remiss if I didn't note that you're wearing a float shop shirt, which is painted by my wife, who painted Aww, the mural that's at so cool. Liber.
2: Sandra that Calm is, is the so greatest amazing. artist. I, I
0: cannot tell you
2: how beautiful her painting is.
1: That is yes. beautiful. I did not put that together. Yeah. That is beautiful. Well done, Sandra. And
0: and and it's certainly symbolic of of uh what we're all talking about here. The the our logo. So uh, that means a lot to me. Um, thank you, Justin. Um, and
3: uh, can I just share really yes, quickly course. before you wrap yes. up, Justin? You you actually helped to inspire the name of my float center. Mm. Um, so we are Sukino, um, which is part of a mantra: "Loka Samastha Sukino Bhavantu." And I'm also a yoga teacher, and that was absolutely my it's my favorite mantra. And I would spend a lot of time um either reciting that or meditating to it. And my husband kind of heard it all the time. And we had been talking about opening the center, didn't know what we wanted to call the place. And then he happened to hear uh we were talking about one of your talks at uh, float conference and you were talking about being free from suffering and um serenity, these feelings of serenity. And so the word, if you take Loka Samasta Suki means May all beings everywhere be free from suffering, centered in happiness and joy. And may my own words and actions contribute to that freedom from suffering for all. And the word Sukino, alone, just that one little word means centered in happiness and joy and free from suffering. And then we named our flute suites, happiness, joy, and serenity. So you, oh, you helped us So have our little no in southern Indiana.
2: I love yeah. it. I love it. And, and it really gets to the heart of, of what we're, we're doing here. You know, I think that it is. Everyone, everyone goes into their floats not knowing what to expect. And when they see the tremendous relief from suffering, mm-hmm. and not just the relief from suffering, but this, this inspiration that it creates in you to help others. I think a lot of us opened our own flood centers for the, the same reason. Mm-hmm. It's it's to give back to the world and, and give them that same feeling of peace. So I, I love that. I love that. I love this community for that same reason.
3: Absolutely.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you, Kim, for sharing that yeah. too, by the way. That, that so is amazing. Yeah.
1: So cool to know that story. Gosh. And I can't believe you didn't tell us that this before. Little... That's really, yes. really inspiring
0: fantastic <laughs> this back and forth of how we feed each other is so cool it really I love is. it
1: very grateful Isn't for it? all of you thank you so much Justin likewise thank you guys yes
0: thank you thank you so much for joining thank us thank you very today. much just just a few things to wrap up thank you to my co hosts I love this so much it's such a good time thank you thank you thank you thanks to Kim for writing show notes while we're uh, while we're doing our podcast thanks to Olga for producing the show now who's massively productive and um i'm filled with gratitude (laughs) for olga and um thanks to thanks for listening thanks for being interested in the float community thanks for participating in tonight's episode and and listening in and um, you can look forward to a in the float collective and i'm sure on art of the float facebook um information on how to join a live conversation with dr feinstein that we can talk about the float research collective look forward to that um and uh, thanks to everybody supporting Art of the Float on Patreon and, and getting float imagery. Um, it supports the podcast. It supports what we do. Um, tonight is invigorating for me in, in remembering why and being inspired by we do what we do. And um, everything just, we just feed back into each other and hopefully manifest something that makes a really big difference in this world. And even the small differences make a difference as well. They, they have meaning, I mean. Um, beyond that, thanks to our supporters for making this happen as well, or to our sponsors, I should say. Thanks to Helmbot, and thanks to Isopod. Thank you so much, and I think that's about it. Until next time, we'll see you on that Zoom chat. We'll see you next week.